Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference every year. Head over to CanMedEvents.com now to learn all about our CanMed 2021 event that will take place September 29th through October 1st at the Pasadena Convention Center in Pasadena, California. And be sure to get your tickets today at the special early bird rate. While you're at CanMedEvents.com, be sure to sign up for email alerts to stay up to date with all the news surrounding this industry-leading event. Okay, this episode we have a few announcements before I introduce this episode's guest. First, the Cannabis Center of Excellence, Medicinal Genomics, and the UMass Dartmouth Charlton College of Business recently announced the formulation of the Healthcare Provider Knowledge Attitudes Practices Related to Medical Cannabis Research Study. The intention of this study is to collect information from healthcare providers in both the United States and Canada about their experiences with medicinal cannabis in their practices, prior education around the topic, and interest in future clinical education related to medical cannabis. If you are a healthcare provider, we invite you to take part in this short 15-minute survey. Your personal information will not be collected, and as part of the study, one lucky participant will win a full conference plus medical practicum pass to CanMed 2021. Check out the link in the show description to go directly to the survey or visit canacenterofexcellence.org for more information. Second, we are encouraged to see that the local Southern California governments announced last week that COVID cases are at an all-time low, and as a result, their widest reopenings are still on the horizon. Leading up to CAMED 2021, this is great news and a sign that we are trending towards normalcy. As always, CanMed and Medicinal Genomics will continue to monitor reopening policies with various state officials. Lastly, if you are a Facebook user and you have not yet joined our CanMed community group, you're missing out on some great discussions. We have a little over 250 members in the group who share articles, post polls, and ask questions related to cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, safety testing, and more. It's a great way for the community to stay engaged throughout the year and a great way to stay up to date with news related to those topics. Which brings me to today's guest, Dr. Greg Gerdeman. Greg Gerdeman is a neuroscientist and educator with experience in the physiological actions of cannabis and the endocannabinoid system. Recently, Greg has gotten involved in the conversation around Delta-8 THC, which is how I met him. Coincidentally enough, we met through the CanMed Community Facebook group. I explained how that happened at the top of the interview, so I won't retell that story here, but the takeaway is that you can meet some very interesting people in that group. Okay, I'll stop plugging the Facebook group now and and get back to Greg. He comes at the Delta-8 THC topic from a neuroscientist perspective, questioning how much we know about Delta-8 THC and how it affects the body and the brain. He also raises important questions about how the compound is created and what that means for consumer safety and the legality of Delta-8 THC products. In our conversation, we discuss what exactly is Delta-8 THC and how does it differ from other THC isomers, why there is a sudden influx of Delta-8 THC products, 
how the 2018 Farm Bill opened the door for Delta-8 THC production, the process for creating Delta-8 THC from CBD isolate, and the risks associated with it, whether Delta-8 THC is, a, is actually produced in the plant and at what levels, what research has been done to understand how Delta-8 THC affects users, and more. Before we get to my conversation with Greg, I want to thank this episode's sponsor, Project CBD. Project CBD is a California-based nonprofit dedicated to providing up-to-date news and information on the science, movement, and industry around CBD, medical cannabis, and plant-based medicine. Since its founding in 2010, Project CBD has been a trusted resource for patients, medical professionals, scientists, and like-minded advocates. Learn more about Project CBD at projectcbd.org. Okay, and without any further ado, and I apologize for the additional ado this episode, I bring you my conversation with Dr. Greg Gerdeman. Good morning, Greg. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Ben. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm really excited to talk with you today about a topic that's been popping up a lot lately in the news, uh, Delta 8 THC. In fact, Martin Lee, our friend over at Project CBD, recently shared an article on our CanMed community Facebook group um, called the Delta 8 THC controversy and does a great job describing this situation. Um, and really, this ar- that article is going to serve as a foundation for our conversation today. I encourage people to check it out. I'll put a link in the show description so people can read it. Um, Greg, you were quoted in that article. And coincidentally enough, I had a question about one of the comments you made, made a comment on the post, and you responded to it right on the CanMed Community Facebook group. So uh, shameless plug for that group. Um, if people, people should definitely join that. As you can see, you can uh, communicate with a lot of leaders in the space and make some great connections. So Again, I'll put a link in the show description for that. But anyway, I'll stop rambling and we'll get into that question that I asked a little bit later. But I That's think great. we need to really start with the basics here for people who aren't familiar with Delta sure. THC. And uh, I'm going to pass that over to you, Greg. Can you explain to us a bit what it is and why is it in the news lately? Sure. And it's especially in the news that is is generated by and about the cannabis industry so far but it is going to be in broader news. And that's something that, that everyone needs to take serious because there are risks and, and, and issues related to how this could affect health and the industry. Um, what is Delta-8 THC? Um, you know, everyone is familiar with Delta-9 THC. It's the workhorse psychoactive component in cannabis. And you know, for, for decades, Delta-9 THC was considered the only active principle because that was sort of the state of affairs and you know back in the 60s when when delta 9 thc was isolated um it was found to replicate all all the important sort of behavioral and psychological effects of of hash oil and um other cannabinoids were discovered back then including delta 8 but were not believed to have that kind of uh potency uh, so delta-8 THC is an isomer of delta-9. It has a very similar chemical structure. To say it's an isomer means it has the same number of carbons and other atoms. Um, but there's a difference in one 
bond uh, between two carbons in the molecule. And the position of that double bond is in these different deltas. Delta 9 has it in one place. Delta 8 has it next door. And there are other isomers, delta 6, delta 7, delta 10. And all it means is the placement of that bond shifts, which is not a very impressive change just looking at the molecule, but it does have some functional differences. Um, you know, sort of maybe the next question is like, where is delta 8 coming from? Um, it has long been known that delta-8 can be seen in analyzed extracts of cannabis flower. So it's, it's there, it's found naturally. Um, it is also discovered way back in the 60s that, that delta-9 and even CBD could change to delta-8 THC under certain chemical conditions, especially low pH, acid conditions. So this has been known for many years that, um, for example, CBD can convert to THC. And that's really what's happening right now in the industry. Delta-8 THC is being lab synthesized. This reaction to create Delta-8 from CBD has been developed in different labs and it's being created from CBD isolate as a starting product. Is that making enough sense for how we're going? Yeah, here? that is making sense. Um, so now that we know kind of what it is, why is it popping up so much in the marketplace now? Right. It, it, there's, I look at two uh, watershed moments here that have caused this Delta-8 to, to pop up in the form of, uh, at the consumer end, in the form of gummies and other edibles and vape cartridges. Um, people have concentrated D8 that they're doing in like dabbing. Um, where is it coming from? Well, you know, in 2018, there was the uh, Farm Bill, the newest version of Farm Bill that was written and passed to really help advance a legalized hemp industry. And of course, we've got this long, you know, winding relationship with what we call cannabis. And hemp is now legally defined based on its THC content. And it has to be 0.3% Delta 9 THC or less. And if it is, it's considered hemp. And then the 2018 Farm Bill, hemp is not a controlled substance. Well, that Farm Bill did several things. One thing is it opened a, a real rush of interest into growing hemp, extracting hemp, creating CBD. There was a rush for that. And it was overproduced. It was overgrown. A lot of farmers got nowhere near the return they hoped. A lot of extraction companies had far more competition than they thought. There was a glut of CBD on the market. And the price of CBD fell dramatically. So you had a situation where folks investing and going into this hemp extract CBD industry um, suddenly saw their margins shrinking dramatically because the price of CBD isolate was falling so much. Um, well, at the same time, the, the Farm Bill, when it said that hemp is not a controlled substance, the language of that bill, which many people have dug into, says that extracts and isomers and derivatives thereof extracts from extracts and derivatives of legally defined hemp are also considered hemp and therefore 
unscheduled, um, removed from the DEA's purview. Although it also says that it synthetically uh, synthetic cannabinoids, synthetically manufactured cannabinoids, I forget what the exact language was, was not made legal by this. And this is where there's a lot of tension. But these two things, to answer your question, these two factors converged where the price of CBD fell like a stone and there was a legal loophole that made some enterprising chemists realize, hey, CBD's cheap now. I'll buy hundreds of kilos of it and we can start working in the lab to uh, convert it to THC, uh, Delta-8 THC, which isn't Delta-9. So if we come up with a Delta-8 product that has less than 0.3% Delta-9, it'll be legal. And it also does get you high and it has effects that have consumer value. And so the price of CBD dropping and this perceived legal loophole that says if it's not Delta-9, it's fair game, led to this uh, chemistry. It led to this development, and it led to a a return of really high profit margins for people who are uh, pursuing this, and that drove an explosion of entry into the field. There are dozens and dozens of labs that are buying cheap CBD isolate and making Delta-8 products and because it is a huge regulatory vacuum right now, mm. um, these products are popping up everywhere. Vape stores, gas stations, hemp shops, certainly, online direct sales, et cetera. Well, and that's part of the issue too, right? That these products are popping up everywhere from any number of different manufacturers, not all of whom are probably uh, reputable or knowledgeable in what they're doing and how can the consumer sort of tell the difference or at least protect themselves if, like you said, there is that regulatory vacuum? I mean, to me, the real issue is is pretty much that. Um, that, that be honest, I mean, the, the end consumer uh, at a vape shop or a store, another retail outlet, they generally have no idea. I mean, you can see, I've seen Delta 8 products with really slick, clean looking packaging and branding um, that is very dirty, you know, and, and that there's my concern. And by dirty, I mean, it's not, I'm not out on a crusade against Delta-8 THC molecule. There has been a very limited clinical experience with it, but Delta-8 THC was studied in the early 90s in a small clinical trial for kids with pediatric cancers and were undergoing chemotherapy. And uh, in this small study, Delta-8 THC was very well tolerated and helped them through the nausea of their chemotherapy. So there's a potential therapeutic use, no surprise, because Delta-9 and CBD both have good anti-nausea effects. Um, But um, my concern is what else is in there. And you can go to a, a lab, you can send your product to a lab testing, you know, company and get a certificate of analysis, a COA, that people in the field are very familiar with. And, and you can test it and see, here, here are the cannabinoids that are present. Here are maybe terpenes, if they're looking at that. Quality control issues like residual solvents and pesticides and metals, you can test for that. But a lab doesn't test for, I mean, doesn't show you things that they don't look for. Hmm. And there are, in these Delta-8 products, a variety of 
molecules that you see if you're looking at the raw data on these lab uh, analyses, there are a number of components in there, reaction products, that are unknown. And um, there's a concern uh, for, for the risk of unknown molecules, unknown products. So this, this comes to another real, for me, crux of the, of the issue that I think is sort of an existential moment in the hemp cannabis industry about the, the, how we relate to this balance between natural or created within the plant and lab synthetic. Call it semi-synthetic if you want. This is a touch point because the DEA says if it's synthetic, it's not legal. In my view, I'm not trying to make their argument for them, but in my view as a biologist and chemist, pharmacologist, if you have a starting product and an ending product that are different, if you convert something into a different molecule, whether it's an isomer or not, it is a synthetic process. Um, and as I said, it's acid conditions that are the that form a big catalysis to this uh, cycleizing reaction that basically if you look at the chemical structure of CBD compared to THC you can see how there's kind of a loop that's not closed in CBD and when the molecule is under um, reactive conditions uh, the, some of those loose ends and the oxygens in the molecule want to form partners and the easiest quickest thing for that to happen is the loop closes on itself and CBD closes that ring and becomes a tetrahydrocannabinol. And at that moment where the ring closes, wherever that double bond is, it kind of gets stuck. And, and that's why the same reaction that creates delta-8 THC um, can create delta-10 or delta-7 or these other um, isomers. There's another subtlety that gets a little more for the chemistry sort of intelligentsia, but there's there's uh, racemic or enantiomers that get formed too. The position of hydrogens, like on one side, left hand or right hand side of the ring, that flips around and changes too when you've got CBD converting to THC in this reaction. And my point here is that although there are subtle differences, you get not only delta-8 THC, but kind of like four different varieties, subtly different varieties of delta-8, delta-9, popping up when you create it under this laboratory um, catalyzed chemical reaction. Um, does that create in and of itself a big safety concern? You know, I'm not particularly that scared of it. I'm more scared of things like aggregates that happen if the reaction is uncontrolled, um, where the CBD molecule doesn't just close on itself, it closes on its neighbor, for example get longer hmm. larger molecular weight molecules if that's not cleaned up i would never ever vape it it could be something that sticks in your lungs and and is unhealthy hmm. um so that's other... so that's what you mean by you know the labs not not finding what they're not looking for is that yes the, yeah because they yeah, are looking for the metals this. and all these other things that are sort of you know commonly tested in the in the cannabis space but since it's going through this um, synthetic process that's not being done in cannabis, they may be missing things. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they may well be missing things. And there are labs doing this that, uh, that 
again, I'm not trying to rag on the really good chemists that are trying to pioneer this space, but there are others that don't even have the sophistication to know what I'm talking about at this yeah. moment. Um, and, and that, that concerns me. Um, you know, these reactions, a good chemist will know, or will find out as soon as they start looking into this, that all of this should, should be done under a stream of nitrogen gas that's inert, uh, and, and helps the sort of runaway oxidation reactions from happening. Um, but if you don't, you're going to get more side effects. If you cook it too hot, you're going to get these different aggregates forming. Um, and some of that can be cleaned up with filtration, but to really clean it up and get delta eight as a as a pure molecule, you requires expensive product development R and D with techniques of chromatography. That is to say, separation of the molecules that are in there um, that are not cheap. And a lot of this industry is just chasing huge profit margins, and they will cut those corners, and they do. Um, and it's it's something where the good players really ought to be inviting some level of regulation, you know, and and even testing for metals and pesticides and such, you know, there aren't national standards for, you know, how those things are implemented. And and this applies to the CBD industry at large. I've seen many CBD products that seem to have laboratory COA laboratory COAs that are, you know, bogus. Uh, you know, so and I think that that's a problem in Delta Eight, big time. Um, cannabis has long had an issue of lab shopping, right? It, we want our our yeah. our cannabis to have a higher THC content, and this lab we know favors it. That product is super magnified in Delta Eight, and part of the reason is the very technical point I just raised that you get different sort of small flavors of THCs formed. These different um, subtle uh, enantiomer differences because people who are used to looking at this chemistry, when you're doing a lab analysis, you basically get a readout that looks like peaks, right, on a chart. And those peaks on the chromatogram are theoretically, you know, individual molecules. If you separated them out cleanly enough, every molecule would have its own little peak. Well, if you're trying to move quickly in a lab and you run your react, you, you do that separation in a fast time, then you don't get much separation. Um, because of the way that synthetic delta-8 THC, and I will refer to what's out there as all synthetic, because to me, that's what I think it is. Um, but lab-converted synthetic delta-8 THC, because it has these subtle differences, the, the peak for delta-8 or delta-9 is going to be wider and more less precise because there's actually three or four different varieties that are in there that move subtly different. Well, how do you know how much Delta-9 is there to find out if you're still legal? You run it against a known lab standard. That lab standard is going to have a very sharp, precise peak. What happens in a lot of these Delta-8 products is even when they're testing for Delta-9, right where that lab, that, that standard peak is that's nice and sharp, it looks like, okay, now there's only 0.3% there. But labs can sort of conveniently ignore that there's a lot, of, that the peak is broader, that there's more there. And uh, for example, some good labs, and I, I refer now to Dr. Chris Hudala at, at, uh, at Proverity Labs, um, 
he he's insistent that he's tested thousands of Delta 8 products that are out there on, com, on in commerce and that none of them are under 0.3% Delta 9 THC hmm. because the Delta 9 in these products are also synthetically generated from the CBD reaction. And you're underestimating how much Delta 9 is there. And in, in practicality, I've heard this talked about because of my buddies that are that are making this or that are buying Delta 8 distillate and diluting it into tinctures or putting it into gummies, you know? Again, I'm not in a crusade against these friends and others like them who are trying to make a good, you know, business out of this. But, you know, I've been told by a friend in this business, oh man, you know, I had this product and like one lad told me it was 0.3% and the other said it was like 6%. Hmm. So there's, there's another piece where, like I'm not scared of cannabis, right? I think cannabis should be regulated and legal. I think people should be able to grow it in their backyard. And I think that we need to have mature, open marketplaces about this. But there do need to be regulations. And because of this mystique and gray area and market rush with Delta 8, among the many issues I've got some problem with is just truth in advertising. You know, I've gone to shops where Delta 8 gets sold as, you know, it's... It, it gives you the high of THC, but not the anxiety. It won't get you too high. It's THC light. And again, if you had pure Delta A THC, the, a good bit of the evidence that's out there from, especially from animal studies, is that it's not as potent as Delta 9. Maybe three quarters, maybe two thirds as potent. Um, although some studies have found it as potent, some from the early 70s. Um, and, and you hear user reports on that. Um, but I've also heard many user reports of people that thought, oh, Delta-8 is lighter and safer and have ended up consuming way too much of it. Even experienced pot users that go into that anxiety hole. And I'm concerned about the users who aren't familiar with it. And yeah, you know, I'm not a run, save the children sort of fear monger, but teenagers shouldn't be able to buy this at a gas station thinking like it's something that's just going to take the edge off and not get them high. Well, most of them know it's going to get them high. That's why they're doing it. <laughs> right. Anyway, I'm, I'm getting a little bit loose with it. Won't we? Yeah, so I was going to ask, I mean, why the focus specifically on Delta-8 THC? As you mentioned, there are other isomers of Delta-10, Delta-6. Why is Delta-8 more desirable than those others? I think Delta-8, it was just the, low, the low-hanging fruit. Um, as far as how it's popped up, Delta eight uh, emerges, and 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 maybe we'll get to your question that we that introduced us in a moment from what I'm about to say, because even if you've got a cannabis extract or uh, a CBD, a hemp extract with high CBD, and you're distilling it down to make, uh, say, a, a CBD oil, an enriched CBD oil for a tincture full spectrum product or to take it into isolate putting that cbd rich extract in a in a distillation vessel and cooking it down if that's run too hot or too long you get delta 8 appearing mm. that isomerization does happen even without artificially lowering the ph uh, as is being done now to make it more effective um so Delta-8, and again, and Delta-8's been known. Like I said, there, there's not a vast literature, but there were people doing some human studies with it in the early 70s. 
there were people doing some animal studies with it, pharmacology studies in the 70s and 80s. There was that one clinical trial I mentioned in pediatric uh, patients for the control of nausea associated with chemotherapy. And, and Delta-8 does have psychoactivity. Um, but you do have these other isomers. I mean, I think it's critical to be talking about it right now because, I mean, I could put up a picture of CBD with all of the different products that can be formed with fairly simple reaction conditions. Hmm. Some of them are called iso-THCs, which definitely do not get formed in the plant, but do get formed when this chemical reaction is catalyzed in acid, cooking it up in acid. Um, Delta-10 may even be easier to form. Um, this is one that, you know, there are Delta-10 products out there right now. People are calling that like the, the next thing. And my question is, why? Like, I have a PhD in pharmacology focused on cannabinoids. I think it's safe to say very few people on the planet had a cannabinoid pharmacology PhD before I did. I, this is from 2001 when I finished my work. I've never stopped studying this subject. Pharmacology is the question of how drugs interact with the body. And I don't know what Delta 10 does. It really hasn't been studied. And there's a, there's a it's sort of an anecdote out there uh, that Delta 10s emerged into this marketplace. This emergence came just a couple years ago because, uh, or catalyzed because a cannabis farm in California uh, was impacted by the wildfires. And they had a, a cannabis harvest, a bunch of flour that was sprayed down with flame retardant. And for whatever reason, and I'm not going to drop the name of this because I'm not sure how true the story is, um, they started analyzing to see, well, can we extract the retardant out anyway? This has been a, this is the problem of the kind of thinking that goes on in this unregulated market. Not, oh, crap, this is ruined. It's got chemical flame retardants, all of it. Well, people have investments in this. It's their livelihood. They're like, well, there's a lot of chemistry going on now. Can we try to just extract that out and get rid of it? And not if it doesn't show up in the final product, then we're good, right? Mm. Well, th what was in the final product included a lot of Delta 10. They didn't know why, but something about that chemical flame retardant pushed that reaction to occur. Um, so there's an opportunism straight up, and I'm not trying to be judgmental in a bad way. I mean, drug development follows opportunistic routes, too. Uh, it, it does. The, the one classic example that just pops to my head is like Rogaine, minoxidil, that's used for, for you know, male pattern baldness and stimulate hair growth. That was a drug that was being tested for cardio, like uh, blood pressure control. Right. And as a side effect, it grew hair. And the drug developers were like, hey, maybe let's put this into a topical and see if it can grow hair on bald men. So opportunism isn't bad, but in that controlled industry, there's a great deal of what's called pharmacovigilance. You have to follow up and you have to show that it's safe. In the world of pharmacovigilance, an, a, 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 an example that pops up is Vioxx, selective COX inhibitors that were developed because they don't cause gastric bleeds as much, but it turns out they caused cardiac-related fatalities. Well, those fatalities occurred at like one in 10,000 or something. Now, it was taken off the market for good reason, but that wasn't detected until a lot of people were using it, unfortunately. And if 
the cannabis and hemp space is going to go into laboratory-based synthesis, even if it's just a one chemical step conversion, you do get reaction products that you're not looking for, and it needs to have oversight. And you ask a great question, why focus on Delta-8? Well, now, because it's everywhere and it's the, mo it's the molecule of the moment, and it's yeah. not going to go away because it's got a lot of use. But Delta-10's coming out, other Deltas, other cannabinoid variants like THCV, which definitely is created in the plant in some genetic lines of the plant. Some varieties of cannabis create these so-called propyl cannabinoids. I'm, fast, I'm very interested in those. But you can cook them up in the lab using CBD as a starting point. You can, I know chem, I have seen conversations between chemists who are working on their protocols to make the cannabinoid THCP from CBD as a starting material. What is THCP? That was only just discovered early last year or reported by Italian researchers who described this new phytocannabinoid. And the only reason it was a big splash is because it's supposedly 30 times more potent than Delta 9 THC. There are chemists right now trying to iron out their protocol where if they can start with CBD isolate that was hemp derived and make it THCP in an efficient way, then they're going to go through the same loophole and say it's hemp. It's not controlled. And that's obviously a race for profit margins because it's not what the intent of the law is. And I think we need to have mature conversations about this or there's going to be possibly toxicity effects in the population, public health concern, uh, possibly a massive blowback on the industry that just turns this into an enterprise controlled by big pharma. Um, and if we're not talking very transparent about how to move forward in an industry-regulated way, then there's going to be potential for real problems. So how open really is this loophole? Um, you know, is what folks are doing, converting CBD to Delta-8 THC, is that technically legal or are they kind of playing with fire here and it's only a matter of time before they get cracked down on? Well, I will say that I'm not a lawyer. I will also say that I have seen well-heeled and respected lawyers come on both, come down on both sides of that. Um, in my view, as a pharmacologist who has studied this quite closely, I think that it's not legal. Delta-8 THC is explicitly listed as a Schedule One substance at this point in time. It is also, to me, as a, as a, as a scientist, it is unequivocally an a, um, analog of Delta-9 THC. It's as close to Delta-9 THC as you can get. And because Delta-9 THC is still Schedule One, the Analog Act of like 1985, in my view, clearly includes Delta-8. So I think it's kind of a double dose of Schedule One illegal. The DEA sees it that way. The Association of Food and Drug Officials who writes model code for the FDA seen it that way. I believe the FDA sees it as as illegal. Again, Delta 9 THC shouldn't be in Schedule 1. The whole Schedule Great. 1 status has never, ever been based in science. And, you know, as we're moving towards wrapping up this conversation, I mean, I think it's important to point out that all of this stems from the absurdity 
of cannabis policy. I am someone who believes that human beings have not only a natural right to cannabis, but seeking the psychoactivity and therapeutic medicinal effects of cannabis is as natural a behavior as you can get. The the cultural, social, religious evolution of human beings has been wrapped up in a dance with the selected, you know, cultivated evolution of the cannabis plant, right? It's a huge, fun, fascinating story, the long cannabis-human relationship. It's as natural as can be to seek out the use of natural plant cannabis. And the fact that it's prohibited has never been based in science. It's been contrary to human medical history. And it's led to things like super high THC content in breeding. It's leading to seeking avenues for that experience, whether it's therapeutic or for just for the mental effects because you want it, that are, are less natural. And I have no problem saying that how Delta-8 and these other isomers are being made is less natural. Um, maybe we move forward where, you know, hey, cannabis is cannabis. We'll call this cannabis. Um, but we need to have those discussions. And all of this stems around having an unhealthy, overregulated, prohibited status of cannabis. And um, that's, yeah, I guess that's kind of a mic drop moment because I'm not sure where that's where I end up. Yeah. You know. Well, I did want to ask you too, and, and you mentioned that, you know, the way that Delta 8 THC is being produced now is unnatural, but is there a potential for the plant to be naturally making Delta 8 THC and perhaps, you know, breeders selecting for that or, um, you know, can create a more natural product? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I, and I've talked, I talked to one friend who's Again, I won't name drop, but he's been a very, very influential, um, infamous cannabis breeder uh, in in the world, and and has studied the chemistry of extracts quite a lot. And he told me he didn't think delta eight is real at all. He thinks even the trace amounts that's been found is an artifact of dissolving the stuff in order to put it in chemistry to analyze it. I bounced that off of another friend who is um, very well known uh, in, in cannabis uh, medicine, um, who says that, uh, I mean, so this was Ethan Russo. I will drop his name because I don't think he would shy away from this. Ethan thinks that Delta-8 can be made in the plant, that he has seen analysis of varieties in Europe that seem to reliably have higher levels. And you know, he is, I, I pitch his name because he is involved in a group called Breeders Best and he, they have interest in breeding for Delta-8. Um, I have no idea where... I don't know how Delta-8 occurs in the plant. Um, you know, you asked me... I will give a shout-out to the question that brought this conversation together because you said, you know, Dr. G, like if if your definition of synthesis is CBD is one thing and it turns to Delta-8, that's another, so it's synthetic. What about the decarboxylation reaction? Because the plant makes CBDA. THCA. And when we heat it, it converts to the neutral form, THC as we know it, and CBD as we know it. It's a very astute question. These are different molecules, but in my mind, 
the what we the decarboxylation that happens, the activating that happens, is it, it certainly absolutely occurs in nature when the plant stays out in the field and it's got UV radiation and heat. That decarboxylation happens. So whether it's made in an enzyme or not, it's clearly made with happens in the trichome of the plant if it's you know in the field long enough to happen. I also see it as a thermodynamic inevitability. T CBD hmm. will always break down to CBD given just enough time and warmth and heat to bump the reaction over. You don't have to get it to hundreds of degrees. I mean, that's the point where it's at equilibrium and it all shifts over. But, you know, it all it all will move over just like a bowl of water sitting at on a 70 de degree day will all evaporate even though it never hits its boiling point. CBD A is all going to go to CBD eventually. That said, you know, THC is eventually going to break down. Delta 9, it's more uh, thermodynamically favorable to turn into Delta 8. Delta 8 is more stable. I suspect that's how it's coming in the plant, is some fraction of Delta 9, which degrades into CBN, right. some of it will shift into Delta 8 first. I'm, so I'm skeptical that we can breed for high delta-8, but I would love to see it. I think high delta-8 flower would be fascinating. Um, and I, again, because I will fall back on an argument for whole plants, because I think that the chemical phenotypic diversity of the cannabis uh, genus is just so utterly remarkable that if people want a, a lighter high, then let's focus on breeding type 2 plants that have under 10% THC and a nice balance of CBD. There's so much potential that I think the industry should focus on. I think that the route of, hey, let's let's have, chase good margins by taking just bulk CBD and processing it in labs, it's giving some applied chemists work and I'm not against that, but it's, I think it tilts the agriculture towards a monoculture that is not creative, that is not celebrating the diversity of this plant. It also creates, you know, if you're going to do it that way, then why not just work on making more and more greater efficiency with, you know, transgenic yeast to spit out cannabinoids, which again is not a, you know, a, I'm not criticizing that as some sort of un ignoble adventure. I mean, I've met really smart, cool people who are trying to make cannabinoids out of yeast to, but if that's what we're doing is making a molecule, I think that the diversity, we're at a point in history where the diversity of cannabis can be explored far greater than it ever has been before. And I want to see that happen. I want to be involved with ventures that support that. And there's going to be room for all of it. The derivative stream of hemp is going to include everything from graphene batteries and, you know, hempcrete to cannabinoid molecules and that's going to take chemical processing it, it needs to be something that's done transparently that's regulated in a way that you know clean potentially risky products risky manufacturing and let's not forget that putting reaction vessels at pressure with high acid is a dangerous thing to work with if there's no oversight, then somebody that bought cheap CBD isolate can cook it up and risk themselves, their environment. 
and and also a little plug I never put in there, but just on the this question of like what's in there, all of the conversation that we assume is that you're starting with a very pure CBD isolate. If your starting product is dirty in the first place, then these unknown reaction products are going to multiply. You don't know what's in there. Yeah. So Delta 8, maybe there will be Delta 8 plants in the future. I wait that and find a great interest in it. Um, but maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah. And you make a great point about, um, you know, if you're looking for a lighter high, why are there not more type 2 type plants or products available. And I can just speak personally from up here in Massachusetts. Uh, if you go to a, a recreational dispensary, it's rare if you ever find anything that's not a straight type one plant. And, you know, you ask people, yeah. why, are, why is there not more variety here? And, you know, they say that that's all the growers want to grow. Um, and I think that there is just a, there could be a wider market for people to have a more balanced experience. Um, but uh, it's probably just going to take time for, for people I, to realize that. I think it's going to take time. It could have we could be on the cusp of that. Um, but I agree. I've seen dispensaries where, where I've, you know, found a really lovely, you know, like outdoor grown type two variety that. I thought, man, I could use this all day, you know, and I'm not a heavy consumer. Uh, and, and I like that. I think that there's great future in those for the sort of wellness aspect and those who like the experience, but don't want to get feel inebriated by it. Um, I, I think there's huge future in it. Uh, and if that's what's driving the, but I think there's a lot of you know, I think a lot of what's driving the Delta 8 market is a so-called legal high. I think it's one step away from sort of the illicit mentality of the spice sort of market. The only right. difference is potency. Um, and for that reason, I think that these synthetic pathways, I see them as not actually a legal loophole. I've advised multiple companies, yet you might, I'm not a I'm not an economist. I'm not someone who chases a fast profit. Maybe you're going to get where the getting is good, but I wouldn't invest a market, a business plan in Delta 8 because I think that, that the justification for it being currently illegal is just too strong because of the synthesis, the synthesis of a Delta 9 analog. All right. Well, I do want to be mindful of your time. I know I kept you over the half hour a bit. Um, before I do let you go, I wanted to give you the opportunity to plug any websites or social media that you're involved in that you know, people can connect with you. Gosh, I'm I I uh, have several different things going on. My Instagram is is at Ganjanesh, um, G A N J A N E S H. I don't know if you plug that, and it's kind of personal stuff, but I I comment on the industry. I, I'm at I'm, I can be found on Facebook. Um, I've got a few different ventures. I mean, I have a, a, a license for a medical cannabis dispensary up in Weirton, West Virginia called Weir Wellness. Um, that's under development. Um, I'm with a CBD hemp company called Tennessee Pharmaceuticals with an F, tnpharmaceuticals.com. Also very new. I'm in transition. And I'm, I'm really, I'm getting involved in an exciting venture that's relevant to all this that I 
can't even really talk about too much yet, but it involves wanting to to create a better, transparent, open marketplace for hemp and cannabis derivatives where there is authentication of the chain of custody and the various validations and certifications that go on. Because right now, the, the world of buying and selling these cannabis derivatives like distillates or biomass even, um, there's there are huge trust issues. There are huge transparency issues. And I'm involved with a venture that is going to try to help be a, a solution for those uh, to, to have a, a greater open market exchange. So that doesn't really give people a plug to look for a specific site, but maybe to keep their eyes open or if that if somebody's mind pops when they hear that and thinks, oh my God, that's exactly like my tech company, then you know, reach out and, and uh, connect with me. Excellent. I will put links into the show description so uh, people can easily find that. Um, Greg, thanks again for, for coming on. It was a great conversation. I think we could have talked for a few more hours, but thank you. <laughs> but ben. We'll, we'll cut it, it off here. And uh, I hope to see you out in CanMed uh, this fall. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Greg Gerdeman. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, Project CBD. Our next episode will drop June 2nd. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out canmedevents.com for all the latest news surrounding CanMed 2021. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for email alerts. The best place to do that is on our podcast webpage, that's at canmedevents.com slash coffee talk. If you complete the form on that page, you will be entered to win two tickets to our VIP dinner for CanMed 2021. If social media is more your thing, you can keep up with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Just search for CanMed Events. And lastly, if you are listening on a podcast app, please do subscribe to our feed and also leave us a five-star review. Okay, until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and be sure to come back for the next episode of CanMed Coffee Talk.